0: Isn't it good to worship? Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord? Isn't it good to have Henry back? (laughs) Amen. Praise the Lord. Good to have Henry back. Good to have all you guys back. We appreciate you. We love you. We want to welcome all of those who are streaming online. Tapping into uh, Facebook or YouTube or Instagram, we want to welcome you today. The Lord has a word uh, for those who are here, for those who are at home. We hope that however you find us, that the Spirit of God may dwell richly within you. Amen? All right. Uh, we're getting ready for tithes and offerings. We don't separate the tithes and the offerings from the worship, but after our worship service, we go into this as, as a, a sign of our understanding, and obedience for what God is doing in our lives. I want you to take a look and consider this morning Proverbs chapter 3. I'm going to read about maybe about halfway through. And I want you to really understand this as it pertains to, uh, to the Lord's flow in your life and how things manifest from glory to glory, from blessing to blessing, that it is not so much what you have learned, but more where you have submitted yourself in the wisdom of God. This scripture was written by, uh, by the author to a young man, and how a young man, how a young person should guide themselves. And check this out. It says, my son, do not forget my law. Do not let your heart keep, uh, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life, and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Be be not wise in your own eyes and fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with all your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Hallelujah. He tells, he tells this young man, he says, listen, if you want to be successful, if you want to be on track, if you want to live on your purpose for the rest of your life, You have to forget about what you know and hang on to what God knows. It says, do not be wise in your own opinion. Don't be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord. He says, if you fear the Lord, you're going to be in his favor. You know what the favor of the Lord brings you? It brings you unanticipated blessing. It brings you unmerited favor, stuff that you didn't earn, you didn't ask for. But because you're in the zone of his grace, Things fall on you because of your connection to him. Then he says, I'm going to take you one further. If you really want to have the victory, as you go to work, as you build what you have to build, as you plant your field, honor the Lord with your possessions. What does that mean? Honor the Lord with what you have. That what you have, you know, sometimes if, if we drop a piece of hard salami, my dog will take it and will go to the furthest part. She used to do is go to the furthest part of the house so she can enjoy her cold cut all by herself. As she got more accustomed to the family and as she got used to it, she started eating the cold cut closer and closer and closer to us. So, so we started dropping it and she would just eat it right there because she stopped being afraid that this might be the last piece of ham they dropped. And what, and what my dog found out is that if she, the closer she ate to me, and she didn't run away with what dropped, she might get a second piece. Come on, somebody. Come, y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't, don't take your possessions and run all the way to the other side, because sometimes that's what we do. We get the paycheck and we... We got to devour all by ourselves because we might not get another one. Can you imagine how sometimes how ridiculous we are? Let's let's keep all this money, we might not get another paycheck. You're telling me you woke up every morning to go to work and you don't expect to ever get any more? So, what is the fear that we have? Is it fear or is it trust? As my dog started to trust us and and we started to have a better communication, he started realizing if he. When they drop a piece of meat, that's not for them, that's for me. So the dog felt comfortable, her name is Baby. Baby felt comfortable taking the piece because she knew the rules, whatever drops here is for her. So if I dropped another one, it was also for her. And if I dropped another one and she got more, the more that I saw that she enjoyed what I gave. Many times dogs have taught lessons. When the woman said, she asked for mercy and she asked for, for Lord, have mercy on us. And disciples were on Jesus. And she said, This is not for you to give, for me to give uh, the food to the dog. She said, But even the dogs eat from the crumbs that fall from the master's table. He said, Well, what I found out from a dog is that the ingredients in the crumbs is the same ingredient in the cake. And my dog taught me, if I stay close to God when He gives me some, and he sees my joy, he might drop another piece. Because how can you judge how hungry I am unless I'm next to you? But if, you, if, she, if she took the piece and ran away, I would never know if she was satisfied. And then when she came back hungry, I said, you selfish. You just want something from me so you can run away. So now it's on my terms when I want to give you something. Because I'm trying to give you something and enjoy it. How many times has God given you something and he cannot enjoy what he gave you because you took it and ran away? What have you changed today? What have you said, I think, I, I think I'm going to eat this next to the throne. I think I'm going to enjoy my possessions and honor the Lord and bring him into the joy of what he has given me. So, so when, you, when you get something, say, Lord, thank you. I'm not leaving your presence while I enjoy this paycheck. I'm not leaving your presence while I enjoy this new house. I'm not leaving your presence while I enjoy this new car. I'm not leaving your presence while I enjoy the things that you give. I'm going to honor you with my possessions. Amen? Amen, somebody? Hallelujah. So, as we go back into worship with the song, I want you to dedicate this offering I want you to dedicate this to your relationship with the Lord, to the trust that you have in him. Do you trust that he's your provider? Do you trust that he can turn things around? Do you trust that you don't have to take and run to the other side of the room and do your stuff in secret? For the Lord wants to take joy in your life. But the only way that the master can have joy is is if you are next to him. So, I want to pray for you before you give. Now, let me tell you something. There's a lot of stuff we can do with the offering we can do today. Like, change that TV that be twitching on me. <laughs> with a green line on it. We're going we're gonna to change that in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Now, we don't got to pray to change the TV. That's just a, that's a purchase. But here's what we do have to pray for, for freedom. We have to pray, pray for the freedom in our minds that keeps us bound and locked up, overspending habits that will keep you bound and locked up. These habits of I never had enough when I was a kid, and so therefore I'm overspending on my child because since they didn't have, I'm going to make sure that they have, and then you, you, you raise a brat that you cannot control. Because the restrictions on your finances is what made you who you are. Now you figure without restrictions, they'll be just like me. It's not true. The way you handle money affects your children. It affects your house. It affects everything. It affects how you get into debt. It affects how you get free. It affects the wealth that you built or what you never built. It affects whether the next generation has to start from the bottom of the ladder or if you at least bring them halfway up so they don't have to do everything by themselves. It affects everything. The way you look at money will affect even the way you look at life insurance. If you just don't care about the future of your family, you probably don't care what happens after you die. And so that becomes irrelevant as well. The way you look at money affects when you get old. You know what? I have some money. I'm going to spend it all before I die. Or do you say, let me leave something for the next person so they don't have it that hard. All of this affects all of us. It affects what we enjoy in church. It affects what we're able to change and to maintain and to grow out of and grow into. It it affects everything. This is why God is involved in my money. Because this is what I work for. This is what I go out. I'd, I'd love to stay home and not have to do anything. But we have to go out and get some so we can build. But the Bible says unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain that built it. Amen? But if the Lord builds the house, it's not in vain. And it's going to have more fruit than what I ever thought before. So let's pray, and we're going to dedicate this prayer to the trust relationship that we are building in him. Let me tell you something. There's, there are things that God is trying to build in you, but you don't trust him. And after today, I believe that a seed of trust is going to go into your heart, and you're going to see the manifestation of his glory in your life. Amen? Father, we thank you, Lord God, for the gift that you have given us. We thank you, Lord, for our ability to go out to work. Thank you for giving us health. Thank you for giving us an opportunity. Thank you for some of us who are allotted in education where the rest of our family was not given that opportunity. Whatever we find ourselves in, some, Lord, did not go to college, but they find themselves to be tremendous hustlers, and they're making it work for their family anyway. But we can still get even further. For the educated and the non-educated, salvation is near. And by the favor of our Lord, we can reach levels that even those who came before us could never reach, by trust in you. You can open doors that are closed, you can close doors that are harmful, and you can take us further in our journey than what we ever have believed. But first, we need to trust in you. Even when we don't see a way, we have to trust that there is a way. Because here's what we know about you, that when we lean on you, you will never make us ashamed. You will always come through for those who believe in you. So, Father, today we lean not on our own understanding, and we lean on yours. For the dreams that we have, we can't afford them anyway. Even if we gave all that we had, is not enough. So, Father, we lean on you, our faith, our belief, and most importantly today, our trust so we can make it to the next level with peace and harmony. We pray all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's give as the Lord put in our hearts.
1: When the spirit of the Lord moves upon my heart, I will dance like David danced. When the Spirit of the Lord moves upon my heart, I will dance, like David dance, I will dance, I will dance, I will dance, like David dance, I will dance, I will dance, I will dance, like David dance. Si el Espíritu de Dios está en mi corazón, yo danzo como David. Si el Espíritu de Dios está en mi corazón, yo danzo como David. Oh, yo danzo, yo danzo, yo danzo como David. Oh, yo danzo, yo danzo, yo danzo, yo danzo, yo danzo, yo danzo como David. When the Spirit of the Lord moves upon my heart, I will dance like David. Is. When the Spirit of the Lord moves upon my heart, I will dance like David. Is.
0: Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I got some announcements to make, but most of them we already know. Uh, One of the things that we want to do is to make sure that after service, uh, last week we had the couples over at a house for a housewarming. Today we're going to have the singles uh, fellowship over at the house. (laughs) Right after service. Amen. Saturday, January 25th, uh, arrive here at 2 p.m., Because we are going, well, those who have kids, we're going to have, well, no, no, they didn't write it here. Is this, Saturday 25th is going to be for the singles, right? Next gen. All right. Y'all got to put next gen here. Skating. I figure anybody can go skating. I ain't going skating. (laughs) But y'all can go skating. Between 3 and 5 at the Hackensack Rink. Amen? And then next Saturday, uh, next Sunday, sorry, the, uh, the 26th. Is that next Sunday already? It's already the end of the month? Lord help us. January 26th, after service, Sisters Fellowship. Amen. Let's praise the Lord for that. Tonight, we have our men's at 830 Zoom. And on Monday night, Monday night on Zoom, we're going to continue our study with the book of Ephesians. I'm very excited about that. That's going to be very explosive. So you can tune into that. Amen. Okay. Let's get into the word. Are you ready? Let's pray first. Let's pray so we can kind of get into this. The, the, we're going to continue our, our study today on the power of habits in our lives and how they transform us or sabotage us, how we are sometimes ruled by these things, but at the same time, we want to know how to be free from them. Amen? Uh, my topic today is simply, I want to be free. I was praying and I said, Lord, we, have to, we got to be free from all distractions. We have to be free from self-sabotage. We have to be free from these things that take us without us even giving full conscious permission. Sometimes we find ourselves in predicaments that we don't want to be. And those are the things that we need to change. How many say amen to that? Amen. amen. So if you are if you are here, if you got somebody at home, uh, you want to uh, share with them, uh, I guess go to your feed and share and do all the stuff that you already know how to do. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray, Lord God, in this moment, in the name of Jesus, that you may help us, oh God, to receive this word. Open our minds and our ears for what you're about to say. I pray, Lord God, that you may help us, Lord Jesus, as we deliver this word, that our hearts may be open, that our minds may be open, that we may be renewed by what you said the renewing of our mind, to not be conformed by the things we see in the world, but to go the very opposite direction in the way that you are going, because you are life and you are freedom. There is a liberty in you, and we, Lord God, today need to be free, want to be free, have to be free, must be free. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Give somebody a high five. Let them know you're happy to see them. Amen. Have a seat luxuriate you could uh if you got clean socks you can take your shoes off <laughs> do not quench the spirit with no stanky feet all right the topic the topic of 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 these habit-forming actions and the consequences of, of our habits, we all either are going to enjoy them or we're going to regret them. Where, where then does joy come from? Joy comes from actions that we do that become perpetuating in the result. What does that mean? It means that there's some things that we do that will constantly bring us the same result. If that result then is good, then you'll constantly have those good things happening in your life. We're in church, and one of the best decisions that we have made besides coming to church is receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior into our life. Because accepting Jesus into your life is going to set off many things in motion. It's going to set off things that are going to bring you joy is going to set off a life where you start to believe in something greater than yourself. It starts to repel the nature of sin. And you ask, well what's the nature of sin and what is this really repelling? What it is repelling is the nature of selfishness, the me first complex. When Adam had sin and Eve had fallen into sin, the first thing that they started to worry about was themselves. They stopped to worry about God. They stopped worrying about the garden. They stopped worrying about the assignment. Y'all know the assignment. He had the assignment to name all the animals. He left his relationship with all of the animals and worried about who? He worried about himself. The first thing that he realized is, I am naked. I need to be covered. And so the garden that he was named to protect and he was given to, uh, to, to, to now govern over, he has to go and rip. A plant and take the fig tree and cover himself with it. This set off another consequence that that clothing wasn't going to be enough because he was not created to have to worry about cold weather or extreme hot weather. So his nakedness was enough. It was supposed to be a perfect ambient temperature for him all the time. God had not created his skin to be like to have fur because he didn't need it. God was going to give him provision so that he wouldn't even have to worry about that. The next thing that happened is that now an animal has to be sacrificed for them to have someone else's skin that wasn't designed for them. Now that skin has to be on them. And sin always has a consequence of messing somebody else up. The tree got messed up. The fig tree had to lose its leaves. An animal had to give his life. And from the day that we sin, we have continued, our selfishness continues to cause ripples across humanity. Every time we become selfish, someone else has to pay for it. When someone else becomes selfish, you have to pay for it. So we are constantly in this rut. But when Jesus comes into our life, he opens up a reconnection to him. And we start to feel that we start to reopen our relationship with him, and that takes away from the bondage that we have of selfishness. One of the first things that you experience when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you you receive this weight that just comes off of you. This weight that feels like everybody owes you something. This weight that feels that everybody has done something bad to you. This weight that feels that every cuss word that you ever said, people deserved it. And here's what happens when you get saved and baptized. You start feeling like forgiving people. Why, Why is it that we have a natural tendency, the believers... to to understand forgiveness faster than anyone else in the world. Because the consequence of sin is having to deal with unselfishness. Our unselfishness and the world's selfishness. The evil that says, in order for me to get off, you have to die. I got to kill the witnesses. I have to kill the people I don't like. I have to take away every threat that's away from me. So what happened is now you become a victimizer. You become a villain. You become, and maybe not in those evil turns, and maybe you're not a villain, maybe you're not a murderer, but perhaps, perhaps you're a cheater, uh, perhaps you're a liar, or perhaps you're a thief. Uh, maybe you're nice, and everybody thinks that you're a nice person, but every now and then, you, you will stab someone with your words. You will gossip so bad that nobody can recover from the words that come out of your mouth, that if we put you on tape, you'd be ashamed of yourself. How many of us would like for us to run a tape of your top 20 sinful, shameful, embarrassing moments on TV right now? We would run out of here and never come back. Because it's embarrassing to see ourselves at our worst. Living in the moment, you don't see it. But these are the things that if we don't break the nature of sin, then the nature of sin becomes the habit of sin. And once it's a habit, it becomes hard to break. Amen? It becomes very difficult to break because your habit is tied to a nature. Can I explain that for a second? We have been given three natures. Number one, you have consciousness in three areas. Number one, you have been given a spirit. For man is made up of spirit, of soul, and of body. In your spirit, you have God consciousness. God created man. He blew life into his soul. And the spirit of God dwells in man. You have been given a soul, a personality, a character. This is who you are. This is where all of your memories and all your ideas and everything you want to be and everything that God can deposit is going to be in your soul. Free will was given into your soul. So in your soul, you have self-consciousness, and you have been given a body. Consequently, it's good for you to know that you were given a body after you were assigned the soul. For when God created man, he first created the soul of man, then the body of man was created. If you don't, if you don't believe me, read Genesis again. Before the Sabbath, he created man. After the Sabbath was over, said that he put dust together and then blew the soul that he created before the Sabbath into the body that he put together later for the soul. So the body is not first. The soul is first. And if that's true, then it is true that when we die, our soul goes to the ground Our body goes to the ground, but our soul does not go with the body. It goes back to God who gave it. Amen Somebody. The body then has world consciousness, touch, taste, see, and it uses all these things, and it is supposed to be subject to the soul, and the soul is to be subject to the spirit. But when you pervert the relationship between your soul and your spirit, there is a disconnection. And God is a God of order, so he establishes rules, he establishes laws. There's laws of nature, there's laws of gravity, there's laws of aerodynamics. there's laws that if you do these things, this is the result that you're going to get. Amen? If you throw something up, it is going to come down unless you have another law that can go against it, which is the law of aerodynamics, that if you throw something up, put wings on it, and push it, the thrust and the lift will keep it going until eventually the law of gravity we'll pull it down once it runs out of thrust. Does that make sense? We then in our spirit have the same thing and we're subject to it. We are spirit. We have been given a soul and we operate in a body. Now here's the thing about the habit that we used to think that everything we do is spiritual. God has given you a machine, a well old machine. He has given you an engine in your mind. He has has given you a pumping heart that will last for years and years and years. You will live on this earth decades, maybe a hundred years, pumping blood through your body. You have cells that individually have their own brains. That if you look at a brain cell, did you know that if if you take away, I'm sorry, a heart cell, the heart cell under a microscope pumps by itself? Did you know that? that if you would take away a chunk of the heart and take it under a microscope, that you can actually reproduce those cells, which is stem cell research. They take those cells and they can regenerate those same cells. You used to think that the only thing that pumps in your heart, but every little cell itself pumps, which is why you see in, in, in a fetus, you can see heart, a, little, uh, a, 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 little, a little fetus like this, but in itself is the biggest thing going, a heartbeat. How could a heart beat in something that is only the size of a quarter, yet you see a little beat? That's how they can have this evidence of life, because something is pumping. It's the mechanics of the body. So the nail cells act like nails, and the eyeball cells act like an eyeball, and, and, and the cells in your forehead act like what they're supposed to be, and your liver cells will act like a liver, and your lung cell will act like a lung. Your brain cell will act like a brain cell, because God made everything perfect. And in order for this machine to run well, it must burn off two things, consciousness and unconsciousness. Nobody's sitting here thinking about how many breaths they took from the time they walked in to the time they're here. You do it through the body. It has given you the ability to create a habit. Breathe. But you also have the power to override the body. The body, once it's, once it's exposed to certain elements, perhaps it's exposed to nicotine when you were young and you were stressed out and you realize that nicotine can take away some of my frustration and some of my stress. So some people, when you see that they're thinking too much or they're a little bit stressful or their bodies just have been craving, they go outside to have a cigarette and they don't like the way their fingertips smell afterwards. They don't like the way their clothes smell afterwards, but they're addicted to it because their body has run on automatic they don't even remember how many cigarettes they took out until they have to pay for another box. This can all be controlled. Breathing can be controlled. The moment that you start to realize that you're breathing, and if I tell you, listen, the reason why you're a little bit stressed is because you're not breathing deeply. When you start to breathe deeply is when you get more oxygen to the brain. If I make you aware of it, then you go, he's right. I'm not breathing deeply. Yet, not breathing deeply can affect your energy level. Not breathing deeply can affect how much oxygen goes into your body. However, if you just let yourself go on autopilot, you will have no control over your energy because you cease to think about what is important until someone brings it into your attention. And it's hard to bring everything to your attention all the time, it is exhausting. To have to think about breathing, to have to think about how to walk, to think about which foot comes first when I walk. Is it the left one or the right one? If everyone thought about that, we'd all be in the street like this. just we'd have a hard time walking. we'd have a hard time doing the most mundane things. And so what we use is your ability to create that habit even if it's involuntary to do these things. That's fine when it comes to walking, driving a car, when it comes to perhaps playing a sport, when it comes to certain things that we don't really need to, to, to worry about. We just want to survive. But it is very, very difficult when you set other things and you give it to autopilot without controlling, like your anger. Like having an autopilot when I get angry just to break something that's destructive. You don't even think about it. You just do it because you got used to everyone just dealing with you the way that you are. Oh, he's just angry. Let's just go to the other room. So your family has created habits around you. Oh, mom's just upset today. She's just upset. Let's let's, Let's just leave her alone. And you have heard them say that. And you allow yourself to get upset even though you know it bothers everyone else, but because you got away with it once, twice, three times, you continue to perpetuate the behavior because you found a way to cope with life at everyone else's expense because you are selfish. Every habit that you don't control, every sin nature that you don't hold under submission is about you. It's not about us. And there's a reason why, because you are submitting to the law of sin and death. And when you don't break that law, you will continue, what the Bible says, in, in, you will continue in sin. And sin leads to what? Leads to death. Unless we can break free from it. Amen? Can I read something? Go to Romans then chapter 7. Look at at what it says about being free from the law. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as she lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then if she, if whilst her husband lives, she marries another, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you have also become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, hallelujah, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when, they were, for when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions, which were aroused by the law, were, were at work in our members to bear the fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Amen. What is this talking about? is making a comparison that if you bind yourself in marriage, that marriage is until death do you part. But when death comes, you are allowed to marry another because that relationship, that contract is broken. Now, as we live, there is a contract over our life. The Lord had warned them, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. That contract became law. And Jesus had let us know, I did not come in the world to condemn, for the world is condemned already. What is he saying? That there is a contract, and you cannot break that contract unless you die. So that's a problem. So he has to now present within a people that he has called, and the people of Abraham, he raises up a people and says, okay, this is now the Hebrew nation, this is Israel, this is the nation of who I am. I am experimenting a law. And this is the law of God. And if they follow this law, they will be redeemed. But they could not follow the law because the law of the flesh overwhelmed them. They, Even though they wanted to do good, they were not able to do good. And Jesus had proven to them that the flesh is so strong that even if you give us the opportunity to be free, we will always default back to our nature. So he says the only way you're going to break that is by dying. So he said, I have a better idea. I'll die. I'll die for you. If I die for you, in your place, the old law is broken. And if you die to the old law, you can marry another. It was illegal. You couldn't just break out from the law of sin and death and jump into righteousness unless there was a blood covenant, which is why they had to Cover sin with blood. A life for a life. Death had to happen. But because no one can die and live forever, the brokenness was hemmed back together and so the people every year in the Old Testament had to continue to do sacrifices annually and the high priest had to continue to bring that to the temple. Jesus now, being the lamb and the high priest, brought his own sacrifice being himself And the only one that can offer him up is someone that is holy, which is him. So he became the offering, and he also became the one offering. He's the offering, and he's doing the offering. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He is the holy one. So when we give thanks to salvation, we only have one to thank, which is Jesus Christ himself. Are you hearing me? Are you getting it so far? So that death brings about us a decision, which is what he has given us, free will. We can decide then, do we want him or do we not want him? Do I want to receive this contract-breaking situation, or do I want to keep living this way? Because there is a morality connected to us, because we have God-consciousness through our spirit, Soul consciousness, which is self-consciousness, and then our bodies that have world consciousness. Now, here's what God does. He gives us his son, and we don't have to die because every man is going to die. But in order for us to have eternal life while we are here, we have to accept him as Lord and Savior. Now, what does that mean? We accept as Lord and Savior, but then He asks us to do something else, which is to get baptized. What is baptism about? Baptism is about abolishing the law that was over us. Baptism is about I'm gonna die to my old self, to my selfish self, and I'm going to live for him. And you might think, man, that's crazy. I'm gonna go to church so I can live for somebody else. You've been living for yourself your whole life. How you doing? How you doing? Have you been able to avoid all of your mistakes? Were you able to see what you did not see? Were you able to call upon the favor of heaven over your life? Absolutely not. So we have proved that living for ourselves doesn't work. Living selfishly doesn't work because we are limited. So living for myself, I am confessing I am limited, and I'm living limited. I'm limiting myself, my purpose, my purpose, my decision-making, my destiny is all limited as long as I simply live by the law of the flesh. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You got it? Okay, go to, let's, let's, let's keep reading here. Verse 7. What shall we say then? I see, no, no, let's keep going. Go to verse 13. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good. So that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For what we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. And for what I want to do, I do not practice. But what I hate, that's what I do. If then I do what I don't want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin who dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, or the good that I want to do, I do not do. But the evil that I don't want to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, or what I don't want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. I find in the law. That evil is present with me, the one who wills or wants to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that with my mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. What is he saying? That there's something that he cannot get away from, the conflict of mankind. Look at what he says, which is very similar to our stories. How many of you, before you came to church, you liked God? You liked him. You, you didn't Raise your hand if that's true. You, you weren't saved, you didn't necessarily want to accept Jesus, but you, you, if they said God, you say, okay, I don't have no a problem with God. It's, it's all right. It's good. He's good. Because that's also in your nature. It's in your spirit because of a connection, whether you serve Him or not, you have a consciousness that God is good. Unless someone has poisoned you, then you start thinking otherwise. But here's what happens. When you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, you go from liking God to loving God because of the proximity, the closeness, the openness, where you stop just living in your soul consciousness and you tap into the spirit. When you tap into the spirit, a whole world of opportunities opens up to you. The prophetic opens up to you. Dreams and visions open up to you. Getting connected to everyone who's connected to him opens up to you because you are tapping into the spirit. If you run business by tapping into the spirit, It's easier to do business because you can tap into things that other people cannot. You can connect to people on a different level because you're not living your life based on selfishness. You're living your life on how can I help you? And you're not just doing it for a customer service trick. You're not doing this just to get a sale. I, was, I think I was commenting with Sister Delia how I get frustrated buying things online because every day new companies are popping up. And I think the reason why they're going to start popping up and disappearing is because they're very, very good to sell you, but they're very, very horrible in following through. You go online and you go on Facebook and you see they do this wonderful ad and, 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 and we'll sell you two for one and three for one and all this kind of stuff. And you say, oh, this is a great price. And you, you, you abandon all of your due diligence. You don't look at the background of the company. You say the ad is good. I need this product. You place an order. Three months later, this stuff has not come in. You get a phone call. And they sell you on something. Two months later, you have paid two, three months membership and they do not follow up with you because it's all based on selfishness. Everybody wants to sell. Nobody wants to follow up. No, nobody, everybody wants to close you. Nobody wants to see how you're doing after you close, except the man of God. The woman of God, who's not just concerned about making money, but is concerned about the connection afterwards because we operate in the spirit. Hello, somebody. Are you seeing the difference now? So what happens is in the spirit, it breaks the habit of selfishness. That's the first habit that you have to break, the habit of me first, me first, me first. What happens when you have a me first attitude in marriage? Somebody said, good luck. (laughs) When you got a me-first attitude in marriage, every argument you're looking at, I need to win. How am I right? I need to come out of this argument looking good. I got to make sure that she don't win. I got to make sure that he don't win. I got to have the leverage. So sometimes we'll hurt each other to make sure we have the last word. And sometimes we overstep the line because we have the habit of me-first. What happens when you raise children with a me-first attitude? You start, Children always have a me-first attitude because that's by nature. Okay, that By nature, God has given them a me-first attitude until they're about five, six years old. The only thing they're concerned about is them, their milk, their food, their time. Pay me attention. That's a survival instinct. But after a certain while, you see a child starts to worry about, Mom, how are you doing? Start, when you start seeing a child start to bring you a blanket... A switch has come. You you see a little kid come and bring you a lollipop. A switch is starting where the child is going from selfishness and going into selflessness. You see, the mind started to change. They start to bring a newspaper to the grandpa. They, they, They start to do something that goes beyond them, where before they were simply focused on mine. A change is happening. Until we poison them and become me first. And when the child says, oh wait, this is me first, then me first, me too. And then now you have a selfish parent with a selfish child. The child does not care what the parents want and the parent doesn't care what the child wants. and there's always a war in the house. What happens when it's a me first attitude in business? All you wanna do is win. At whose cost? If you have to throw a coworker down for you to get up, you simply do it. Because your attitude is me first. Your customer is not the customer first, is me first. Let me get my commission first, then I'll, on the back I'll take care of you. And that shouldn't be like that. In nowhere do we benefit where it's me first unless you are an infant. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So if we keep following this law of immorality and sin, we are following the law because this is in our flesh, this is in our nature, unless we decide to break it in the name of Jesus. Amen? So look at his battle. He's saying, what I want to do, I don't do. Matter of fact, what I hate is what I practice. What is he talking about? Habits. He's talking about habits. He's talking about, I have already programmed myself because of my nature. My body's following suit. Because my body carries out what my soul has decided to do. Hello, somebody. If if the soul had decided to do a certain thing, Your body runs on automatic. We already studied last week that the part of your mind that creates a habit is not necessarily the part of your mind that keeps the memories. We know this because a person that loses his memory through Alzheimer's, through amnesia, or dementia can still understand the habit of going to the bathroom, and they know exactly what to do with toilet paper, and they know exactly to close the door behind them because their body has developed cues, cues. When I feel this, I go to this room. I turn on the light, I turn on this, I do this, and this is what I do, this is the result. That is automatic. That's why a person that, that, that lost their memory, cannot remember anyone, still remembers to breathe on cue. I need air, I simply breathe. They don't have to relearn that because that has gone away from the memory and gone into the body. The body has its own consciousness. When it is cold, even though you lost your memory and you don't know who you are, you still remember, I need a blanket. How do you remember a blanket and you don't remember me? Because God has divided it for survival mode. Now, what happens is as a switch, see, these are the things that they don't teach us in school. They teach us really what they wanted to teach us because most education systems are self-driven. So they will decide a curriculum based on what they think society should be like. So when they decided that, hey, I think we need to teach these kids computers, they switched the curriculum to it, but really it was about 15 years too late. By the time they started uh, uh, putting computers in every classroom, everybody was already well into that scene. So can you really rely on education system for all the stuff that you need? No. Absolutely not. That's why some people, and forgive me for saying it, but some people can hustle better because they were not inundated by selfish teachers in college. They were allowed to think for themselves. Now, if you didn't go to college and you don't read, you're in trouble. Hello, somebody. You can't not go to college and not read anything. Like, if the last time you read was was senior, year in college, and your education level stopped there, and you stop to, you refuse to read anything extra, you're in trouble. Can I say something for the super Christians? If the Bible is the only thing you read, you are also in trouble. Because the Bible is not a book on current affairs. The purpose of the Bible is to connect you to God through understanding the redemption of your soul in Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of it. So you see people who are driven their whole life, they read nothing but the Bible. These are very narrow-minded, short-minded people with very little vision because they don't see that even Jesus Christ had decided the time that he was going to come based on the technology of the times. He was able to get his message across without too much interference. Hello, somebody. But if you don't look at the word, if you say, this is the only book I've read since I was in eighth grade, the only book I read is the Bible, you're in trouble because you cannot relate to people or understand the situations. And if you only have the Bible to guide you and you don't do anything else, you look at everybody as that's in sin and whenever something bad happens, it's the devil. This is this is am I telling the truth or what? Every time I attack it's the devil. It's, it's got to be the devil. You show up to your house and 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 uh, uh who called me as I'm locked out. I said, I think I got a key. But the super spiritual say, it's the devil. See, it's Saturday night. Saturday night, I'm trying to go to church the next day. This ain't nothing but the devil. It ain't the devil. It's lack of a second key. Get a second key, devil disappears. How easy the devil disappears. Right with a metal with a piece of metal you put in the door lock and it turns devil's gone. Could it be that it wasn't the devil? Half the things that we call the devil is called bad strategy. It's called we didn't have a better plan. We didn't think it through. And so God is calling you to not be conformed to the way things are, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But you don't renew your mind with the same information. You have to remove... That's why the Bible always calls to be in the Spirit because the Spirit always moves. It doesn't stop. That's why I always constantly say the Bible is a to-be-continued book. You read it here, but it continues in your life. The Bible continues in the way that you raise your children. If it says train up a child in the way it should go, then it has to finish with you training the child in the way it should go. All them other days are not written in the book. Everything was not supposed to be written in the book. It literally says... Everything that Jesus did is not written in this book. Or did you not read that part? The Bible tells us that not everything is in the Bible. It says it there. But if you're ignorant, you say, no, everything's in the Bible. It is literally everything is not in the Bible. The Bible told us that not everything is in the Bible. So, we have to understand what else do we have to go? What else do we have? How are we created? So, the more we start to understand Him, the more we start to understand us, and then He reveals things to us. Now, look at verse, look at chapter 8. Chapter 8, Romans chapter 8. How much time do I have? Are we good? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who did not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. What is it saying? We can walk either way. It's up to us. He has given us the choice. He has given us a free will. Free will. You know how powerful free will? Do you know that he built free will into your biology? In your biology is free will you have receptors in your mind that will excite neurons or they will inhibit neurons. When somebody loses free will, they get diseases like Parkinson's, involuntary movement. Someone that has Tourette's involuntary spats. That's loss of free will. For so scientists have studied that in your mind, you have a constant set of switches. Turn on, turn off. Smile, frown. In order for you to turn a smile upside down, you know how many millions of neurons have to fire off at the same time? They have to get signals, has to get permission for one circuit to, to set off as a relay another circuit for your body to understand and send chemical endorphins Not only do I have to smile, but in order for it to be genuine and for you to benefit from the smile, certain hormones and chemicals have to fire off at the same time. So I can't just go, that's not real. I have to feel it. So it goes, shoulders have to do something. The back of your neck, your ears, everything has to perk up. For a smile to be genuine, for for it to do what it's supposed to do, it has to come with the rush of feelings. For me to be angry then, there has to be a rush of the opposite feeling, because it's very hard for you to be smiling and angry at the same time. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So in your body, he programmed you to give you the skill set and to give you the biology and the chemistry that if you want to be completely excited, you can be. And if you want to be completely depressed, it's also up to you. Based on your habits, which are you most of the day. For the Bible said, this is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. How many of you are happy at least 50% of the day? How many of you are happy at least 70% of the day? That is bad. <laughs> Not even 70% of the day. So what are you the rest of the day? Numb? Angry, nebulous, who's in charge here? Who decides what you feel 100% of the time? He has given you free will. He has given you a body to execute every emotion that you desire. You can desire to stay one emotion all day. You can desire to be angry and mad all day, or you can decide to brush the dirt off your shoulders and be happy all day. Some of us wake up in the morning and we're not even comfortable in our own skin. Anybody know what that feels like? Where you're not comfortable in your own skin? It's crazy how food technically only affects the body. Because if you eat, the body's going to manifest it. But the consequences lay on your soul. Believing in God is a spiritual thing. But not believing in God, the consequences is losing your soul. The Bible says the body's going to go back to where it came from, the dust. Dust goes back to dust, but the spirit weighs all of the weights of your decisions, weigh on your soul. So even though technically it should be that, hey, if I overate last night, I should wake up and keep it moving. But why do I feel guilt? Why does what I did in my body weigh on my soul? Why is it that what I did in the spirit brings me joy in my soul? Is it, is, is, how, how much am I intertwined in everything? The answer is everything is mixed up like a spaghetti with mango. We used to call it un espagueti con You know what that means? Spaghetti with rice? You can't try to get the rice away from the Spaghetti. Once things fuse together, it fuses together. And so we are a fuse of all these emotions, all these things, and yet we have free will, and we still feel bound sometimes. How am I bound when I have a decision to be happy? Simple. I have set myself up for failure, or I have set myself up for victory. Do I have a choice, or am I stuck with whatever cards I was dealt with? That becomes a question. Can I really change, or am I stuck because this is, Pastor, this is who I am. I was trained that when I get angry, this is what I do. I was trained that once I get frustrated, this is what I do. We were having a talk yesterday that sometimes, you know, if, if you're not careful, uh, you, 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 you'll be afraid of your own phone. What does that mean, afraid of your own phone? How, how, many, how many are in sales? If you're in sales, you know what I mean. Sales, you are the salesperson and the customer service desk. <laughs> How many know what it feels like to get a call from an irate customer? And you see the call, and you know the person is upset. You have the power of prediction. You can predict outcomes. But if you, are, if you have an unhealthy image, you will predict this is going to go wrong. So what do we do? Ah, uh, not today. Not right now. And guess what? Guess what you're doing? Are you making it better, or are you making it worse? Because now, what are you setting off in the other person? You're setting off another image. How come this person not picking up the phone? They start talking to, everyone next to him. Yo te dije, mira, no me el teléfono. Sin tremendo que
1: This
0: guy's not picking up the phone. I can't believe him. See, I knew I should never. And what you, you're provoking anger on the other side. Instead of diffusing a situation, you're asking the situation, do you care? No, because this is all about you. What happens when you change? And you tell yourself, listen, I got Jesus. I'm already happy. If I lose this customer, I'm going to be just fine. But let me kill this thing. I am not about to ruin my whole day worried about the next time my man calls. Hello, how can I help you? You see how one little decision in your mind can change the whole trajectory of your life? How people look at you? How you make people angry? Or how you bring peace? All on the decision, do I pick up this phone call or not? All on the decision, do I pay attention to this conversation? Or do I just become selfish? Or do I have to maybe change some things? Maybe I got to become more organized. Maybe I got to follow up a little better. Maybe I need to ask some questions before I leave the scene. These are all the things that we can change. We are not subject to these simple little situations. We can change everything. Look at your neighbor and tell them you can change anything. Tell somebody, if I can change anything, I can change everything. Do you believe that today? If you can change anything, then you can also change everything. Go to John chapter 8. John chapter eight, verse thirty-eight. If I speak, what I have seen. Is that right? Hold on. If I speak what I see. No, that's not the one I'm looking for. Give me a second. 36. Go two verses before. Yeah, I, I want you to look at this because I think this is important. This verse says, therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be what? Free indeed. Now, I want you to take a picture of that, and now we're going to go backwards to see how do we get to be free indeed, right? Like my shirt says. I wore this on purpose today because I had in mind I didn't want to forget what I was going to talk about. Plus, my daughter bought me the shirt, so I'm very proud of it. Thank you, Jilee. Thank you very much. All right, check it out. Go to the beginning. Go to, let's take it from, uh, from 31. John chapter 8, verse 31. To the Jews to whom have believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So what sets you free? The truth sets you free. And they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have... Never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Verse 34, Jesus said, very truly I say to you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. What is it saying? Look at what it says. A slave has no permanent place in the family. Slaves were interchangeable. Slaves can be sold off. But if a son of the family, no matter how much the son messes up, it will always be received again, just like he told us in the prodigal, the prodigal son. The prodigal son goes away, wastes all of his money in in wasteful spending, but when he comes back, he's not treated like a slave, he's accepted as a son. Amen? Go to the next verse. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Because the one who belongs to the Father is the Son, and the the ones who belong to the Son is us. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So we are free because He has set us free. Unless you don't believe it, then you won't be free in your mind. Isn't that crazy? To be free indeed and not feel free. Isn't it crazy to have been delivered from a life of sin and death? and still feel slaved? How could it be? Jesus set me free. We sang the song. I'm so glad Jesus set me free. We sing it. At least I used to sing as a kid. But Why is it sometimes we don't feel free? Why have we, he says we have been delivered, but we don't feel delivered. Could it be that we have made it a habit of unbelief. We have been so accustomed to selfishness and doubt and anger and fear that when he says free, we say amen, but we go home and act differently. We hear the scriptures, we get excited about the scripture, we say amen, pastor, wonderful pastor, that's, that's, that's awesome, that's great, and then we go back and live the same life all over again. So we preach freedom in the pulpit, but we practice slavery in the house. So you are not free. That's why you wake up in the morning and you're uncomfortable in your own skin. I'm supposed to be better than this. This is not supposed to be like this. My life is not called for this. What's happening right now? I'll tell you what's happening. You're free, but you're not free. Because freedom has to be confessed every single day. Freedom has to continually to be worked on every single day. Lecrae has a song in one of his lyrics, he says, freedom isn't free. Freedom has never been free. Ronald Reagan said in one of, his, uh, one of his outgoing speeches as president of the United States, he said, every generation is responsible to fight for their freedom. As one generation dies off, they died free because they fought to maintain freedom." But if the leaders of this country don't fight for freedom, we will go back under the hardship of somebody else. Freedom always has to be worked on. So what's constantly working on it to make you feel bound? The environment that you set yourself up in. The habits that you refuse to let go. It is your life, yet you're not fighting to regain control. So you get jealous of those people who have regained control, and you want their life. Why do you want their life? When you can have a better one, if you take the steering wheel back to your brain. If you start to say, no, this is, this is what I'm going to do. Because if I ask you, brothers and sisters, what is the right thing to do? You're all going to say, you know what? I'm going to eat right. I'm going to wake up early. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to do this and this. I'm going to read 10 books. I'm going to." We all know what to do. We can spit off 15 things what to do. But when I ask you, what do you actually do? What do you do? Not why do you do. What do you do? We become so fantasized with the why we do things that we forget that it's more powerful just to change what it is that we do. What do you do every morning? What do you do every evening? Preaching by itself doesn't change people. You know what changes people? Conflict problems. Because if there was no problem, we we would just keep going the way it is. Hey, this is working. Everything's working. Everything's fine. Until something drops in your life. Something shatters and breaks into pieces. Then you start realizing, "Uh uh-oh, I gotta change something. I can't do like I used to do. So unless we have trauma in our lives, we change? Is it possible then, this is why sometimes God has to humble us? Because anyone that knows how to change our behavior is the creator. If we really look back, some of our greatest trials came on the verge of our greatest victories. And sometimes it pains the Father to have to make us go through things. So the Bible says, don't rebuke the chastisement of the Lord. When the Lord chastises you, You have to accept his correction because we are so self-involved that we don't even notice that our habits are spiraling down. But because of his love, he says, I can't let her go down like this. I can't let him go down like this. His habits are drawing him away from me. Her habits are drawing her away from me. So he has to bring correction. He has to bring a stop so you can say, wait a minute. This isn't working. Maybe it's not good for me. Let me turn back for where I came from. The prodigal son didn't wake up until he found himself in a hog pen. Says, it's against the law for me to even eat these things. Now I have become the roommate of the thing that I used to despise. And he woke up and said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to my father's house. I'm messed up. I shouldn't be here. If you ever woke up and said, I shouldn't be here, not in your house next to your wife. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, I shouldn't be in this fog. I shouldn't be in this dilemma. I shouldn't be in this moment. I shouldn't be in this situation. I should be somewhere else. Brother, sister, you're right. Now what? Look at your neighbor Tony. you, you got to submit. You have to submit. You have to submit. Before, before a horse trainer, Can ever do anything with a horse and teach you how to trot and teach you how to jump and teach you how to race. The horse has to submit. You cannot train anything unless it's submit. A trainer cannot take somebody in the gym and teach them unless they submit. You cannot build unless you submit. And that's what the Lord wants to ask you today. Because either you're going to become super smart or you submit. And I realized, I said, pray, I said, Lord, I started searching all this information, how the brain works and how habits are formed. I said, Lord, this is going to take about three years to do this Bible study before we wrap our minds around the signs behind why we do what we do. Or you can help us to see what we don't see. Do we have to take responsibility for everything? Yes. Yes. But why does he give us his word if we have to fight for every detail? Why does he give us favor if it's all up to our intellect? He has given us revelation. If you see what happens, if you trust him, the things that you used to do won't bring you any more joy. That's how the Lord starts to bring about change in our lives. Because he gives us his spirit. His spirit makes us look at things differently And once we look at things differently, it changes how we feel about that thing. All of a sudden become aware. The greatest thing that God will give you when you start a relationship with him, you know what? He starts to open up your understanding. Now you don't do things just to do it. Now you start to understand. Stand to your feet as we close. Would you consider... Allowing the influence of God over your life. So that the struggles that you used to have, you don't have them anymore. But you let him influence you in such a way that the change is possible. So if you keep rejecting what God is doing in your life, you're going to continue to perpetuate the old behavior. The people that taught you this stuff are not even in your life. Some of them have passed on, and you're still stuck thinking the old way. And God's trying to do a new thing in your life. But you keep repeating. The people that you're angry about, they're not even sitting next to you. Yet they still rule your emotions today. They're not even in the room. The people that broke your heart are not even sitting next to you, but it's still working on you in your head. How can somebody affect you and they're not even next to you? You're in this room. You're watching this online and your mind is somewhere else. And sometimes even while God is talking, we're still listening to other voices because we're stuck in a pattern, stuck in a routine, stuck. And even though our body is doing one thing, And sometimes we connect to the spirit and we don't connect to the spirit. Sometimes we eat right, sometimes we don't eat right. Our soul is taking a toll off of everything we do because the soul suffers the consequences of your bad habits. The soul suffers the consequences of you not connecting to Jesus. The soul suffers the consequences of everything that you do. That's why you are heavy. And the Lord Jesus said, "Come to me, all that are heavy laden, I will give you rest." How would you like to wake up every day comfortable in your own skin? I'm saying you're not going to have problems. Problems are necessary. You need problems so you can solve them. Problems are okay. You know what's not okay? Waking up with anxiety every day. Man, that's not okay. Waking up depressed in the morning, that is not okay. Waking up in the morning not even being comfortable with yourself, that's not okay. It's not okay to say, I don't like myself. That's not cool. You can't, you're already starting negative. But can you imagine if you woke up in the morning and said, I like what's happening. I haven't got everything figured out. I might run into 13 problems today. But here's the problem I'm not gonna run into. I love God, I love myself. I feel comfortable being me. I don't have everything figured out, but I like where I am right now. That only comes one way. When you receive forgiveness of sins, you are no longer under the bondage of sin. When you receive God's love, you are no longer under the influence of selfishness. And when you receive forgiveness you're able to receive other people which means you have lost weight spiritually now i don't know what you need to do today i don't know if what you got to do is forgive somebody i don't know if what you have to do is receive jesus as your lord and savior i don't know if what you have to do is receive his love and when i say receive his love and receive salvation sometimes two different things some of y'all are good with the salvation but you don't believe that he loves you you believe he can save you but you really don't believe that he can forgive somebody like you you gotta let that go if he forgave one of us he forgave all of us so because we're on different wavelengths and the Lord is telling me right now everyone has something different I need you to help me to pray I want you to suspend the aisles and reach somebody by the hand grab them in the shoulder whatever you got to do and I want us to pray I want you to pray for the person you're holding with the severeness of the stuff that you're going through sometimes you can pray for yourself and sometimes you can't but in this moment we invoke the power of the fellowship of the Saints I want you to pray for everybody watching pray for the person you're holding in front of you and behind you. Lord Jesus, we need you today. We need you, Lord God, to reach our hearts for wherever we are and bring about change. In awareness of what you have put inside of us, we got the goods to change. We have it in us, but there's some things blocking change. Help us, oh God, to forgive those who have trespassed against us. Help us to let go those who have broken our hearts because we thought they were going to do a certain thing and they didn't do it. Father, we break that chain of the habits that hold us back. Because we have not received your love, it's hard for us to love again. Because we have not received your peace, we're not at peace in our own selves. Because we have not reconcile who you are to us we wake up anxious every day we deal with anxiety because we're just not sure are we're gonna make it tomorrow but whom the son has set free is not kind of free is not almost free he is free indeed she is free right now in the name of Jesus and we refuse to be bound We refuse to be tied up. We refuse to be boggled down. We refuse to be hostages of our own situation. We break free right now in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So every head, Lord God, that is bowed, every eye that's closed, every hand that is holding on to somebody else, we pronounce freedom in the name of Jesus everyone watching everyone listening freedom in the name of Jesus I'm no longer a slave to sin I'm no longer a slave to old habits I'm no longer a slave to old words I am free I can decide to be happy 100% of the time I can decide to be in victory by receiving what Jesus has for me now I want you to lose those hands and give God praise Glory, glory, glory. I feel the freedom. Thank you, Jesus. I'm free. I'm free. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I'm free. Yes, Lord, I'm free. I'm free. If you feel free, give God a shout of praise. Yeah.